0: Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 115. Heart of Glory.
1: That is the warning. Then an episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, is coming. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week we bristle dutifully
2: in the yoke of social convention, taking apart an episode of Star Trek, trying to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings therein, and why we don't chuck the whole thing, steal a spaceship, and start blowing stuff up randomly. Anyway, that's what I'm doing.
1: This week, more troubles, more Klingons. Not, no, no, that's not the title, but it could have been... The title, Heart of Glory.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, John, because there were some other alternate titles for this episode.
1: Oh, we haven't done that in a long time, Kevin. No, I'm we have not. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, Brother, Who Art Thou? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Which would have been a cute
2: bit of wordplay, though it also would have revealed the writers as time travelers, since uh, the obvious reference, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, uh, would not be out for another 13 years or so. And then uh, this one I kind of like, actually. I, I might have yeah. gone with this one. Um, okay. clinging to the Past. Uh, (laughs) employing of course the original pronunciation of that proud warrior race uh Mm -hmm. used by captain james t kirk uh oh so many years ago
1: i I think either way they're they're good ways to go yeah Um, and as always uh we got a bit of trivia to hit for uh, this week's episode but before we do we want to let you know how to get in touch with us oh you want me to do that Oh, sure, I thought, yeah, go right ahead, I,
2: Ken. Well, sure, you know, uh, I could do that if you want. Okay. <laughs> um, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. You can uh, call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Pretend operators are pretending to stand by when you call 323-522-5641. And I think I've hammered the number enough. You can email us, MissionLog at Roddenberry.com, or uh, check out our website if you want to. I don't think you can contact us there, but... Maybe we'll just feel the good feeling. Missionlogpodcast.com is our website. There are a couple of other places you can check out our fine work. Uh, trekmovie.com and Trek FM, which is online at fm. Remember, any place you do get in touch with us, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, the moment that John Champion has been waiting for, it's time for trivia.
1: All right. So, can you know, sometimes... On Mission Log, um, I will maybe preface a discussion by talking about the production background of an episode as if to indicate what happened, you know, i.e. this story was banged together in an hour and they were filming with an unfinished script, you know, so because that right. happens in TV from from time to time. And I would say that most of the time it's a shorthand way sometimes of saying this episode is probably terrible, but here's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we we try not to lead with our, our gut reaction on an episode, but every now and then you, you have to kind of squeeze in how an episode was put together to frame how you're going to talk about it. And in the case of Heart of Glory, it was scripted two days before production story. I'm sorry, it's scripted in two days uh, by producer Maurice Hurley from a story that he developed with uh, Herbert Wright and D.C. Fontana. Now, very little was actually finished, and it is one of those scripts that they were still finishing as they started rolling. Uh, So it was knocked together in record time, and um, they actually didn't even have time to fill in Klingon words in the scenes where the Klingons were talking. So it was made up. And, um, it, you know, obviously the Klingon language is a made up language anyway. But going back to Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. They had actually started developing a language. All that just went right out the window. He
2: actually said something at one point that
1: I was like, that's
2: that's a Klingon word. And You're it right. wasn't like I didn't recognize the Klingon word, but I was just like, that doesn't sound like doesn't sound like Klingon. Like Klingon words. No. Right. It's it's, well, it's, it's interesting to hear that, though. We'll have to see if they um, met with Kapla.
1: Right. Well, and it's funny because, you know, uh, I watch in the, you know, multiple times we watch an episode. I always watch it at least once with subtitles on.
2: Hmm.
1: And even seeing the subtitles, I I sat there and questioned. Now, did did he say what that subtitle looked like? And is that (laughs) really? Is that correct? And no, you just can't go with that. So I'm going to leave all of that there. Yeah, And we'll see how this affects the show in the end when we wrap it up today. Um, Ken, I mentioned before about Dan Curry having matte paintings that he had done. Uh, I, I mentioned it for um, that that sort of uh, base that he did in Coming of Age that he had used on Buck Rogers. And you asked me, well, what did they just have these things laying around? You can just go grab a matte painting. Well, apparently so, because on The mattress. That we see early in the episode, there is a matte painting hanging up as a piece of wall art, and it's actually a matte painting from Star Trek: The Motion Picture of <laughs> the engineering room. Oh. Yeah, so uh, apparently, at a time you know going well into the eighties, if you were a fan of matte paintings, you could just show up at a studio and grab them because they didn't care. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that I found that to be pretty. Pretty interesting. Um, Rob Bowman directed this one. Of course, we've talked about Rob Bowman multiple times. So I just wanted to make sure that he is given credit for this one, too. And we have to say a big welcome to Vaughn Armstrong. Uh, Get used to him. He plays a total of 11 additional roles in Star Trek. Uh, But don't get used to him just yet. This is the only time we will see him in Next Generation, oddly enough. Hmm. Now, uh, the other one of the other Klingons you want to pay attention to, Kanera, was played by David Froman, and he was known at the time that this episode was made for playing Lieutenant Brooks on Matlock. And um, because this is a Klingon-heavy episode, I uh, wanted to note that there are subtle references to the Klingon theme music, very subtle, uh, from Star Trek The Motion Picture, though the soundtrack was done by Ron Jones. Now, Jones studied under Lalo Schifrin, who is fantastic. And, of course, you know him from Mission Impossible. He did an arrangement of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. He did all kinds of stuff back in the day. And uh, Jones got his start doing cartoon soundtracks for Hanna-Barbera. Now, he has scored most of Next Gen so far, and we will enjoy him for the next few years of Next Gen. And we'll let you know when that changes. That's
2: all very nice, John, but I I, I do have to correct you on one thing. Mm Mm-hmm. They're not Klingon heavy. They're Klingon brothers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What happens when the lone Klingon on the Enterprise is suddenly around others of his kind? It could be the start of another after-school special. Let's find out.
1: No trouble in the neutral zone. Starfleet command has picked up an explosion and orders the Enterprise, the only ship close enough, to go have a look. Riker is already suspicious. Probably the Ferengi. Well, probably not. Disruptor patterns are consistent with really Romulans. Now, when they arrive, the only ship nearby is a disabled Talarian freighter named Batris. Picard is concerned about potential danger in the area, it just doesn't seem right, and he sends Riker along with Data and LaForge to investigate. Before they go, Picard asks Geordi to turn on his visual something-something. Act 1. With the away team on the battress, Geordi starts transmitting from his visor. It's a fascinating view of the scene from his point of view now displayed on the Enterprise main viewer. It's a jumble of various light spectra, but Picard can make out the details of where they are. The Batras is in bad shape, full of smoke and debris. Jody points out that there's a fissure developing the hull, which means that they need to hurry if they are to find any survivors. Hey, look! Survivors! There are life signs on the Batras, well hidden behind a closed door in engineering. When Data pries it open, what should they find but Klingons? Klingons, you say? Cut to reaction shot of Worf on the Enterprise. Caption it, Klingons? Act 2. The leader of this group is Chorus. He's standing next to another Klingon officer named Conmel. And they are attending to their badly injured comrade, Kunavas. There was a special on K-Names. No time to get to know one another. The battress is going to fall apart, and they all need to beam back to the Enterprise. Saved in the nick of time by Tasha in the transporter room, the freighter explodes at the last second as the away team and the Klingons find themselves on the Enterprise. In Sikpe, Kunavas is dying. Chorus and Conmel meet Captain Picard, and who's this? A Klingon in the crew? This is Lieutenant Worf. Chorus explains that he and his men were being ferried by the Batras when they were attacked by a Ferengi vessel. Worf says... That's weird, because the weapons that made the attack appeared to be Klingon. And Chorus says, I know, right? That's totally weird, because it was totally a Ferengi vessel, like I just said. The story doesn't add up. But the Klingons leave to get some rest, while Picard and Riker are left to speculate what they are hiding. For the Klingons, rest means making fun of Worf. Chorus and Conmel take turns finding out if being among humans has made Worf docile and less of a Klingon than he should be. Matters are even worse for Kunavas. He's not going to recover. Chorus, Conmill, and Worf hurry to sickbay where their fellow Klingon dies in front of them. The three then let out a kind of primal scream with their necks arched back facing the ceiling. Dr. Crusher asks what to do with the body. Eh, it's just a shell. Nothing special, says Chorus. Act 3 Connell mentions Kunavas didn't die at the hands of an enemy, therefore a less glorious death. Wait, what? says Worf. Come on, guys, don't keep secrets from me. Chorus tries to find out exactly what led Worf to where he is, and Worf explains that he was trapped after a Romulan attack on Kittimer. He was saved at a very young age and raised by humans on a farming colony. Now Chorus's mocking tone turns to pity, tinged with the little honor he knows what Worf must be going through, having to mold his nature to fit in with humans who can't possibly understand him. He's impressed with Worf. He knows the inner turmoil must be unbearable. Conwell lets him in on a little secret. They lied to Picard. The real deal is that the three of them had stolen the Battress in order to live out their lives in a more warriorific way. When a Klingon ship was dispatched to bring them back, they destroyed it. Worf is beside himself that they would fight other Klingons. But Chorus echoes other familiar voices when he says that they could not imagine a world in which they were at peace with nothing to do. So, that said, can you show us around your ship? Well, of course! So Worf does. On the bridge, Data picks up an incoming ship, a Klingon ship this time. It's Commander Kanera, who thinks he's on his way to pick up the survivors of a Klingon vessel— No, Picard tells him the survivors on board the Enterprise are from a Talarian freighter. Canera drops the 411. Those are renegades, and the Klingon battleship didn't survive. He'd better hand over those guys if he knows what's good for him. Picard dispatches a security detail to pick up the Klingons, who are now being led around by wharf to places like engineering, the battle bridge, you know, places you'd want to know about if you wanted to take over the Enterprise and use it as a weapon. No big deal. Tashiar finds Worf, Chorus, and Conmel in a corridor, and she asks Worf to step away. He's not in trouble, but these two are to be put into custody. Then the temptation begins. Conmel tells Worf to listen to his blood. He is one of them, not one of the humans who was sent after them. Act 4. Right when things get uncomfortable for Worf, they get more uncomfortable for everyone when a little girl running down the corridor lands in the arms of Chorus. Tasha announces they have a hostage situation, but Chorus, realizing this is probably not the time nor the place, hands the little girl to Worf, then back to her mother. Crisis averted, and Chorus and Conmel are taken to the brig. On the bridge, Worf is told about the Klingon vessel nearby, and he asks to address the commander of that ship. The prisoners will be executed if taken aboard, and Worf pleads for their lives. No dice. Down in the brig, the prisoners have taken a page from the man with the golden gun. The Klingon prisoners are taking apart pieces of their armor to form a crude but effective weapon. Before the jailbreak is complete, we've got at least one dead security officer, and Conmel takes a fatal shot, or three, as well. Now Corus is on his own, armed and running around the Enterprise. Picard declines any help from Canera. From engineering, Corus says he will only talk to his fellow countrymen. Worf. This, he says, while pointing his weapon directly at the dilithium chamber. Act 5. Now we really have a hostage situation, i.e., Chorus holding the Enterprise and her crew hostage by potentially destroying the entire ship. He pleads with Worf let's take the battle section of the Enterprise and live as free, feared Klingons. Worf doesn't capitulate and pulls a phaser on Chorus. With a shot, Chorus is down and falls through the glass floor plating. When Worf comes to him, Chorus dies, and Worf lets out the primal scream in the Klingon death ritual. Back on the bridge, Picard informs Kinera that the renegade Klingons are dead, and Worf informs him that they died well. With that, an invitation is given to Worf to serve on a Klingon vessel when his tour on the Enterprise is complete. Worf kindly thanks Canera for the offer before returning to his duties. But really, he tells Picard, he's happy to stay where he is, and Picard is glad to have him. The end. The Enterprise needs a transporter chief. Boy, no kidding, man. You'd think yeah. with all those people on board. They could just maybe somebody who's already there. One guy, yeah. Just assign him. Doesn't have to be a Scotsman.
2: No. You no, know, because it's not engineering for crying out loud. It's just no. you know, it's just the transporter. Maybe just so if they could find like a like a Welshman, maybe, maybe. an English maybe. guy.
1: I don't know. Possibly, Just somebody with an accent.
2: Yeah. Somebody with an accent. I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere around Wales, Scotland, England. Maybe they'll get somebody at some point. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that because it's weird, right? I mean, we've we've geeked on the transporter before. Oh, yeah. So, so she says she can't get a lock on their patterns and she tries to and then she can't. No, I don't guess she tries to yet. She's like, you can't get a lock on the patterns. You have to go someplace else. And, and Picard says there's no time. So then she just hits. Okay, well, let's see what we get. <laughs> and then they start to come right. through but then they're not through anymore at that point i would think that they would already be in the buffer
1: yeah yeah nope. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally.
2: but we don't have the buffer anymore that's because uh, i know we can't just automatically use it well maybe i don't know yeah <laughs> no. anyway yeah, you know they, they get them it would have been a really weird episode if it had just been like yeah you know, so act one everybody dies act two <laughs> three four <laughs> and five everybody's like
1: wow that wow we should a, we a, should
2: have a transporter chief is what we should have.
1: Or if it's the animated series, you beam them back and they're all twenty years younger. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, yeah. we don't
2: we don't have that to rely upon anymore. Yeah, yeah, That's we quit so we, we quit that business.
1: Hey, um, speaking of Tasha and beaming over in the prologue, Picard won't let Tasha beam over, which is pretty smart. You know, okay, yep. your security. We don't know what we're into. You stay here, and then Riker grabs Geordi and Data, who are already sitting in bridge positions. Yeah. Just right there. And, and you don't see, like, every now and then you would see it where another guy just swoops in and takes that seat because they know, okay, this is my big moment. Mm-hmm. But here it's like, no, uh, Picard, I'm taking half your bridge crew. Nope. See ya. Good luck. No, Here's the
2: weird thing, though. So they all get back, and yep. then Picard and leave. And Picard <laughs> oh, doesn't right. even say, yeah. you've yeah. got the bridge, anybody. And I think it, this might be the first time, with the exception of when the Enterprise was abandoned uh, in hide Q. Mm-hmm. Um I think this might actually be the first time that we have no named character on the bridge.
1: Yeah, right. Because we got yeah.
2: nobody. I'm I'm looking around like, and when, we, when I did the rewatch, I was like, seriously, there must be some... nope, nobody. No, because Troy's no, that... not Troy's not there. This episode
1: she's not in there at all. Yeah, yeah,
2: Crusher's in sick bay. Yeah, and then all the other named characters that we talked about are other places. We got nobody here now.
1: And you know, Wesley's is down there in his room. You know, somehow watching and on this, listening and on this, going like, okay, can can I go to the bridge now? Right. Can I, I go to the bridge now?
2: Can't believe Please. I wasn't there today. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this would have been the most awesomest day ever. Uh, you, <laughs> one person I know, uh, Wesley, you've got the bridge. <laughs>
1: Let's talk about the Jordy the visor thing, because I, I thought it was a really nice, interesting scene with Picard talking to Jordy about the vision that he has through the visor. Mm-hmm. The fact that Jordy compensates for noise. And and we know this, you know, that this is a, a human ability that you you know when uh Jordy describes how you focus on one sound when you're in a crowded, noisy room. So we yeah. we kind of get the idea. And I thought it was very interesting. Geordie just assumes that everyone sees data the way that he does, that he's an android and he's got this aura. So something about the the light spectra that Geordi is seeing yeah, gives data this glow. And it's just sort of a nice little thing about perception. You know, yeah. um, it, you think about people who are colorblind, maybe. And they just say, well, well yeah, that, that's the way I see this. Doesn't everybody see it this way? You kind of have to test to see what they are actually seeing and how their perception is different from somebody else's perception. I find that kind of thing really fascinating.
2: It is. And we're actually going to come back to that a little bit later. Um, But yeah, I I always think about the story that my mom tells about when my aunt got glasses, she walked Hmm. around for the first day when she's, when she got glasses, looking at trees saying, I can see every leaf. And, and the thing is, She had grown up with bad eyesight and didn't realize that she had bad eyesight because you can't see through somebody else's eyes, right? So Uh, somebody has trouble seeing, you don't necessarily know until later, until they kind of figure it out. I think it's probably easier to figure out now, but it wasn't something that they were looking for in the, wow, gosh, I guess that would have been the late 1950s, early 1960s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so she was stunned by how different her vision was and then it it is a weird thing it would be a weird thing i would imagine to realize that wow i i thought that i was seeing the way everyone else did the whole time but it turns out not even close um i I didn't sort of like the whole you know um so picard says what's that when Jordy's looking around he's like oh that's commander Riker," and Picard says, oh, to me, it's just an undefined form standing in a visual frenzy. Then again, that's what I put on his quarterly report every quarter. Huh? Am I right? Hello. Wow! Please, I kid. I kid number (laughs) one. He's my number one guy. Come on. Um, I also also found myself wondering, we may hit this again later, too. Jordi's visor really actually gives him a performance advantage in his engineering career. Yeah. And the weird thing is, though, it's not something that's completely like so Jordy's looking around, and he says, oh, this, this looks like there's, a, there's an integrity problem with the hull. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at it, and they're still transmitting to the Enterprise at the time. And Picard says, that looks like a spectrographic reading of metal fatigue. Mm. And Jordy says, yeah, you're right. And I'm thinking, okay, well, let's get helmets for everybody then <laughs> that show that. Yeah. Because if Picard, who is not an engineering guy, can read that for what it is, Yeah, everybody in every engineering department on every starship throughout this uh, Starfleet and maybe every engineer in Federation should have like a heads up display or something that will let them see stuff that way as well.
1: That's a great idea. Or, you know, to take it to the the other way to do it and just have that sensor or an array of sensors in engineering that are always monitoring that. Well, but they can't be everywhere all the time. Well, the sensors can be, and all the, all, they, all the sensors have to do is just send you back a message that says, "Hey, over there, it looks like a problem."
2: Wow, you're talking almost like that would be like a that would be like a like a web of things that was constantly <laughs> sending information to you about how <laughs> it's Around the world, that's a far yes. that's a crazy, crazy idea. That's like that's like twenty fifth, twenty sixth century stuff,
1: dude. Yeah, working on it. Yeah, okay, getting there. Yeah, um, no. Why does Riker say Klingons with such disdain when mm. he discovers them on the Tolarian freighter? I mean, it, he... Doesn't know that Worf is probably within earshot, maybe, that <laughs> they're monitoring all of this. <laughs> and he does it again when the Klingon ship is approaching. By the way, nice reuse uh, stock footage from the motion picture of that Klingon battlecruiser. Yeah. Love, love, love that ship. Yeah. Um, but he just like, you know, oh, what did you find? Klingons. It's,
2: it's interesting. It didn't, it didn't read to me as disgust or disdain. It was more like, okay, we thought. So we thought it was Romulans based on the scientific evidence, and then yeah. we see that it's a Talarian. Is that right? Yeah, Talarian. Oh, we see yeah. it's a Talarian ship. Yeah. Okay, this really should not be here at all. Klingons at this point, you know, where mm-hmm. there are no survivors on the Talarian ship, and we thought it was a Romulan attack or whatever. Um, I, I didn't get the sense that it was a sort of like ooh Klingons, but oh oh no, this I, I is totally- weird.
1: Yeah, well, see, if it were if it had been weird, it would been like, huh? Wow, Klingons—that's strange. Warf, you got anything to say about this? Oh, but come no. On. In this case, it was come Klingons. On. Yeah,
2: think about think about Riker's character, though. Really, he's not going to stand there and go, huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, he gives that look a lot. Well, that's
2: that, true. Huh? But he doesn't look. vocalize it. When he's vocalizing, no. it's uh, there's gravitas. Yeah, there is. Yeah, when he's he he'll look um, yeah, he'll give the goofy look, but he won't usually yeah. say, "Well, what do you know about that." <laughs>
1: You know, there's a lot that I don't know and like, you know, uh, don't get necessarily about the Klingons. We're, we're slowly learning more about the Klingons, but I tell you what, I like their food. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it, it looked Polish, so uh, they sat down for a meal of ribs and pierogi.
2: Interesting. Uh, See, I, I, I yeah. thought it was Chinese. I thought it was ribs <laughs> and uh, and and like um, you know, like, like pot stickers. Like, like pot stickers, yeah. That was <laughs> right. what I was going to
1: say. But yeah, pot stickers. All right.
2: Cool. Either way, um, yeah, they'd be good
1: people to dine with. They would. They would. I mean a little messy. Yeah. But you know, at least they had plates. <laughs> so, um it, it, Ken, you must have really enjoyed the fact that it was like a name drop story reference party mm-hmm. in this episode. Not not as much as we had uh previously with coming of age, but um we start to acknowledge and talk about the fact that Romulans are a thing and uh Kitamer, that that was great. Um and even cooler because that has not happened yet. Star Trek Six has not happened yet if you go by this timeline. I mean, in our timeline, yes, because we're doing the story. But in the production timeline, no, that that had not happened yet. But we plant that seed here, and then in Star Trek Six comes out a few years later, there it is. We we reveal what Kittimer is and what happens there. So I thought that was awesome. And it's well, – Hang, is it, hang uh, on, though. Remind me. Kittimer was where they actually signed – that was where –
2: Kurtwood smith nearly died and they right. had the big slow clap at the end right right All right, right. It seems slow, like it's, slow
1: clap kittimer
2: yeah it seems like things don't go well though because um apparently eventually what's going to happen is is that wharf is going to be the only
1: survivor yeah well yeah not not too good but yeah but the treaty is established if it weren't for those pesky romulans who came in and messed things up okay but between the klingons and the federation I mean, that, that's the beginning of the Klingons becoming a part of that. Yes. So I thought it was very cool. And, and, and it's a satisfying bit of story bridge, whether you're watching it in strict production order or in story order, as we we're doing here. Either way, it pays off, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that part is pretty cool. That part yeah. is pretty cool. So
2: you mentioned this in the, um, in the recap, but mm-hmm. I think it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chorus says to Worf, mm-hmm. so uh, we took over the last ship we were on. Yeah, we blew up the Klingon ship that uh, came for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hate the peace treaty between the Klingons and the Federation. Want to show us around? <laughs> and we're <laughs> like, mm, okay, yeah, <laughs> right. no problem. Right. Now let, let's remember and and you know, Data is a high bar, right? Because he is programmed mm-hmm. or he is a computer. Eh, he's mm-hmm. not really programmed, and we will, of course, repeatedly come back to is he you know, how much like a human is he and whatever. But when Lord just says, by the way, I lied. To your captain, mm-hmm. Lore, who is the closest thing that Data will ever have to a brother, as far yeah. as we know, says, "I lied to your captain." Then, then Data's got to be like, "Okay, well, I got to tell the captain what you said." Yeah. But then these Klingons are like, uh, "We lied to your captain, and we killed the last captain whose <laughs> <Right. laughs> ship we were on, and then we killed the other captain who came for us, and we really hate everything around us." Right. this second
0: mm-hmm.
2: and Warps like. <laughs> but, didn't, but didn't say, I have to tell my captain. And in fact, yeah. didn't tell his captain. Uh, kind, of yeah. a, kind of a weird thing there.
1: Even went to the extent of saying, like, here, let me show you all the other things. In fact, yeah. here, here's a library computer. Do you read fast? Because you could do <laughs> didn't that. Didn't do that. Did not, did not give them access yeah. to the computer,
2: which I think is good. Good uh, yeah. points for Worf. He's got the makings of a fine security officer one day. Although Maybe. we may want to revisit whether or not. He should have actually shown them around. So, can you take me to the place where you know this one part of the ship comes apart from this other part of the ship, so that we can actually use the you know the the one part to really do battle with the galaxy? Yeah, uh-huh. it's this way. It's you yeah, just come with me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Really? I don't know. Um, Tasha said we have a hostage situation on deck seventeen. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting scene because it it did it, it did leave you hanging a little bit. Mm-hmm. The question then became. Did they really have a hostage situation or what was about to be a hostage situation? And did Chorus reconsider or did Chorus, uh, was he going to give that girl back because there would be no honor in killing a little girl and making this truly a hostage situation? It might have been a little presumptuous for Tasha.
2: What's terrible is I was actually thinking it's not. I think there would be plenty of honor in killing the little girl. Holding her <laughs>
1: hostage was the bad thing because, like, well, yeah, she says, yeah. "Well, I thought it
2: was going to be a moment." And, and Warp says, "Why?" And she says, "Well, I thought I was going to hold the girl hostage." And he says, um, "That's not our way." I, I was, nope. I was sort of wishing he had said, "Now you are lucky that he didn't just bite the throat out of her." <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that's right. more that's more of a Klingon thing. Holding a hostage, yeah. eh, it's time consuming, and then you got to talk to people. And no, 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 you're lucky he, she was handed back in one piece.
1: Klingons don't take prisoners if you learned anything from Wrath uh, of Khan.
2: Well unless they're going to send you to the prison planet, in which case, yeah, they do.
1: They do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but hostages. No, so. no, no. No, 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 no. No. I have a question about um about the whole Klingon thing, by the way, the whole you know, do they take prisoners, do they take hostages, whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, if nobody has ever seen the Klingon death ritual before, and we're given to understand that nobody has seen the Klingon death ritual before, mm-hmm. um, I guess the first question would be how do we know to call it that? But then also Um, How does Data know what the howling means? Now, I love what the howling means. It's a warning to the dead that a Klingon warrior is coming. I don't know that the Klingons actually believe in an afterlife. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. We haven't looked into them that much at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's a really neat ceremonial thing. Um, I I like that idea.
1: That's great. And I love the idea that they're done with it. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah.
2: I don't know about that, honestly. When when they say you know when they say uh, is there any special treatment you'd like for the body and chorus is like eh, it's only an empty shell now. Please treat it as such. Yeah, and, and my thought was in the next scene, Crusher should have the body of the dead Klingon sitting on the back of her toilet, holding a candle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what she would only get to do after Lieutenant Yara's gotten to hold the dead Klingon up to her ear to see if she can hear the ocean. Right. They should really look into what people do with, uh, you know, with shells before uh-huh. they because like uh-huh. later Riker might grind up the Klingon for his driveway, you know, right. I mean, there's all right. kinds of stuff <laughs> that know? people that people do with that, uh, with the old, you know,
1: shells and yeah. shells. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, maybe data read it. Maybe it was just buried in the library computer somewhere and then. Data figured it out in that meantime, Mm -hmm. Uh, or maybe he had a chance to ask uh, Worf, because actually that was kind of an odd scene. You come into the middle of a conversation and Picard and uh, Riker are standing there next to Data Station and Picard's like, yeah, and boy, he was just, he he was like a different person. It was so strange. And I thought, A, it's interesting that we came into the middle of this conversation, B. Picard is not one who just casually discusses his impression of the psychology of his crew members. Remember, he shut down Crusher when she started to do that one time. When? I don't remember that. Um, I I would have to jog my memory seriously. And I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was, it was a point when she started speculating about somebody else. And he was like, no, no, no. Um, I'll maybe hear that from... Deanna, but not you.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember the. I remember the exchange yeah. now. I can't remember which episode, but yeah,
1: you're right. Yeah. Well, so rank yeah. has privilege. Sure. Yeah, it was an odd <laughs> little scene, though. It was interesting.
2: Yeah, interesting. I guess so.
1: Did you notice the combination of the Federation logo and the Klingon logo behind Commander Kanera? No. on his ship oh, it was really cool I mean it, see he's standing there he got that nice wide screen on the Enterprise he's in the middle there's this black wall behind him and there's the Federation logo with Klingon writing under it and on the other side the Klingon Empire logo so it, it shows that you know some unity <laughs> some form of unity as far as the Klingon goes and, and actually some pretty great dramatic lighting on him which I think everybody should do when they have a video call Maybe that's one of the reasons that video calls haven't really taken off yet.
2: I don't know. Klingon ships always have great dramatic lighting, honestly.
1: They do. Yeah. They do. Everybody yeah. should have it. I, know? I, I agree. Um, and also, uh, the Klingon uh, in, in the Klingon world, the death penalty is alive and well, which um, we've come across the death penalty a couple of times now in next gen. And uh, we seem to be kind of okay and hands off with that here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, it's only when Worf makes his plea, he's just basically saying in this case, it's, it is a dishonorable way for them to die for what they have done. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's no Picard speech about, well, you know, we don't kill people for it. No, no, there's none of that. It's like, OK, you want him back? Sure, here you can have him back um, until Worf comes in and, and makes his case. Um, also, a uh, special note, please take any, any uh, wardrobe extras from Klingons before putting them in the brig. It's possibly a weapon, and I'm surprised the transporter didn't pick that up. Um, you'd think that for all the things it scans for, it would be able to notice another weapon on them. Um, I do have to say, though, you know, I've taken some shots in our show at production value. Lighting, camera work, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will give them props here for really using that set in engineering. And uh, this is something that kind of ties back to trivia to say that it was kind of a big deal to change up the way that final battle took place since it was scripted to all be on the bottom floor. Um, so they changed that at, at Rob Bowman's insistence uh, at the end. And um, those shots and the stunts worked great. But yeah. Good.
2: yeah although i can't believe you're gonna let i mean it's so weird what you and i will get hung up on the different mm-hmm. things that we'll get hung up on because i usually don't have a problem with the with the with the episodes that you think are kind of cheesy mm-hmm. as far as the production values go yeah there was a boom in the shot what and uh, when 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 uh, uh Worf goes to address um the captain canera captain canera um, yeah. When you have to address him, yeah, there's a microphone just hanging right down there at the front. Which The they first time or the last time? Uh, the first time.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, just like moving around, <laughs> shaking what God gave it or, you know, the boom <laughs> operator guy gave it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just like right there. And I, was, I wow. was like, oh, wow, we're going to hear this from John. But we did not hear that from John. We heard that from me. So there it is. That's now look what you've turned me into. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Didn't notice that at all. Yeah, well, um, there you go. Well, here's another thing that I love. Did I mention earlier how much I love Vaughn Armstrong? Because if I didn't, man, is he good, especially in that last scene, which is very over the top and very dramatic. and And it's everything Klingon is played to a heightened level. But he plays every level in between. And it's great. Because you see desperation and you see everything that is happening in his head at that moment. So, uh, <laughs> of course, we have to get him back.
2: And then when it ends, you see everything that's happening in his guts because no! actually, we can
1: see underneath. Hey, what's what's
2: see. really do you want to put glass? Really? Glass floors, glass no, floor. I don't, mean, just don't look do that. Uh, the Enterprise is not Vegas. The Enterprise is not, <laughs> you know, over the Grand Canyon. The Enterprise is not a penthouse suite for crying out loud. The Enterprise is a workhorse machine. It's a pretty one. Yeah. Come on. And when guys wear those skorts or whatever, you're going to (laughs) just see straight up it. There's no reason for it. I mean, it's a great, I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a great dramatic shot. And maybe that's the reason. But yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. We know about transparent aluminum at that point for crying out loud. Why why are we walking around? Why are we walking on glass?
1: Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Bad idea as a building material. But hey, uh, those Klingons died well, according to Wolf. Um, Enterprise security guard, eh, not so much.
0: Having dealt with the acting, the writing, and the incredible boom mic fiasco, let's dive deeper into the Heart of Glory story.
2: So I had said uh, in the last segment that I actually wanted to come back to uh, Jordy's, uh visual acuity transmitter. Uh, I find the whole thing fascinating, as did you. Uh, but for reasons that maybe you didn't hit, first of all, as we record this today, you and I sitting where we are in the time that we're sitting in, there are debates about whether law enforcement across the country should be required to wear cameras. Mm. Now, granted, they're not talking about live transmission of these cameras, but it's not a far jump. I mean, yeah. you know, from, from where we are of, okay, well, let's put a camera on everybody. Well, you know, we've got 4G and LTE and, and people are working on 5G. So, honestly, sending a live feed of this back to us right now would not be the hardest thing in the world. Yeah, And that's as we record early in the 21st century. So, the idea that they don't have cameras on everybody on an away team in the 24th century is, is, is kind of odd to me. Mm. Um, but that's just sort of like a one sort of procedural thing. I actually really found it fascinating that that we are looking through somebody else's eyes. That we are that we are for the first time. And we're sort of addressing that idea, as you said earlier, of of perception. And I'm wondering is is this use of this technology in this episode a parable for that of like you know putting yourself basically taking another look at things, taking a different view of things than you normally do. Or is an examination of the kind of benefits that future technology could bring to us. Sort of like um, the long shot of the communicator in the cage, that, which mm. I, I keep referencing, but it's such that. a beautiful yeah. shot. Yeah. It's so wonderful what they did there. And honestly, a, a tight editor would be like, wow, we can lose three seconds of that. But you actually want those extra three seconds because that just gives people a moment to look at that and go, wow, look what's going to happen. Which, in nineteen sixty four I guess when the cage was filmed sixty blah, 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 mm-hmm. when it was in um when it was in um the menagerie i mean I, I, what do you suppose the point of that whole thing was? Was it look at the kinds of things that we're going to be able to accomplish, or was it look at things you know from a different view than you normally take, or you think it was a combination of the two?
1: Well, I, I think it accomplishes both. I mean, I think the intent of that scene is just, wow, let, let's learn a little more about Jordy, Okay. And let's let's learn what's going on in his head. Um, his world is defined by, well, you know, how he sees the world. Mm-hmm. So now we get to step into that and go, wow, okay, it, it's not just the matter of, you know, here's a guy who's blind and then opens his eyes one day and he can see. It's more difficult from that. And we've learned these uh, pieces about him earlier on, about how it causes pain. And it's not the same as just having eyesight one day when you didn't before. Mm-hmm. It's this whole other thing. And um, what was it was in uh, hide and Q where he's watching what's happening. Uh, From far off, seeing Worf on that little recon mission, he's watching from far off and and describing everything that happens in detail. And we're like, well, wait a minute. Data's right next to him. Can't he see that, too? Doesn't Mm -hmm. he have super magic, awesome science eyes as well? Um, But where Data is supposed
2: to emulate humanity, it's possible that he doesn't. I mean, yeah, the problem, (laughs) the problem, honestly, is, I mean, there's a tiny bit of gumbification there with Data. Sure. Suddenly his eyes sure, aren't as sure, good sure. as Geordie's because we're trying to talk about how awesome Geordies are, although there will be scenes. I can think of one in particular years from now yeah. where there's no Geordie there and you know, and Data is picking out details that human eyes would not be able to see.
1: I think it speaks to something about Data as a character. The more that we get to know him, that he, here's a guy who – Wait, yeah, yeah. Data or Geordie? Oh, I'm sorry, Geordi. Geordi okay. Yeah. You know, here's a guy that you could look at as, you know, put quotes around it, disabled. Um, But he he is able to use that and use technology to certain advantages, which are fantastic. And then as far as using it as part of the, the story here. Um, you know, I, I think about you. See all these videos online now that are, uh, particularly in Russia, people who have cameras mounted on their dashboards because mm-hmm. they're concerned about you know police stops and all of this stuff. Yeah, we we film and record and photograph more now than ever before. I think I read that in a single year we produce more video and visual content than every other photo taken in history combined. Like, it's just a crazy amount of data. Yeah, it's so tragic um, that half of it's cats. I, I know, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, but, yeah, and it does kind of seem like, well, you get to a point in the future where you decide, uh, clearly with this, it's a matter of choice. Picard asks, can we do this? Particularly in an unknown situation. This mm-hmm. will give us sort of an extra layer of safety, but he's never asked it before. He may or may not ask for it again. We don't know that. Um but in addition to like having those little communicators that at least can keep the enterprise computer aware of where you are and get you back if we need to... Here's just another layer of protection on top of that. I, the, the, you, you could talk about this thing all day just because the implication of the technology is huge for the individual, but also how that could be used by other people. What if people could use it without Jordy's knowledge or consent? There's another <laughs> very difficult thing to grapple with.
2: Wow, that's Horrible. a good point. Although, yeah. although if, he's got the, um, if he's got the turn it on, turn it off, then yeah. yeah. Why the he communicator does. wouldn't do that, though, is what I didn't understand. Right. Like, at some point. Right, 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 right. It's, and um, I actually had that moment too. Like the whole thing where they're sitting there, it, it, very different. But I, I think you'll see where where they sort of link up when um, the Klingons are sitting there with Worf having dinner, mm-hmm. and Picard just starts speaking to them. Right, mm-hmm. uh, Commander, what's your name? Chorus? Chorus? yeah. Commander, what's your name? It's Captain Picard. And Chorus looks up, and he goes ahead and answers him. But I was wondering, like, does Corus think at that point? Oh, wait, he can hear me.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right. Right.
2: Because you know what? He can hear him. I mean, it's kind of weird that. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's, again, talking about the times that we live in today. And I wonder what people Mm -hmm. I mean, assuming that anybody is able to actually hear this 50 years from now, which is a a very that is an assumption full of hubris. But I wonder 50 years from now or even 20 years from now, what what level of of, um, eavesdropping, let's say, we're comfortable with. Because, I mean, certainly that's that's a possibility at this point. And the Klingons are sitting on this ship full of people that, they, that these particular Klingons see as enemies just blithely having a conversation because they're not even thinking that somebody might be listening in. Yeah, well, although there's absolutely I mean all the technology is there for them to be listening in, but oh well, we trust them. Even though we don't trust them, we trust them. <laughs> so,
1: well, we'll think about it. The, the computer to do what it does. The enterprise computer has to listen to everything you are saying at all times. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that Picard says, you know, "Come in, Commander Riker," okay, the computer has to distinguish that from everything else that Picard is saying and mm-hmm. know what to do with that information.
2: Well, it could have a list of uh, of Go codes, right? I mean, again, I hate I hate mm-hmm. to make this so much about what we have today, but we're actually on the cusp of a lot of the technology uh, mm-hmm. that, that we've seen throughout Star Trek. And that's one of the really neat things about having watched Star Trek is suddenly we've got all this stuff. Like we're all walking around with communicators now, whether you have just <laughs> a goofy <laughs> right. little candy bar, Nokia, not even good enough to be a feature phone phone. Or you've got something like an iPhone or a Samsung whatever or whatever as we mm-hmm. record today. And who knows who the best ones will be. Xiaomi Me, maybe like the best company in the world five years from now. There's no telling. Right. Again, as we record this, they all have certain things that you can say to them, though. Well, not the not the goofy Nokia phone that I was talking about. But they all have things that you can say to them that, that activates their listening. But you're mm. right. That does mean that they always have to be listening. But yeah. they're listening for certain things before they go ahead and do other things. Yeah. Fingers crossed.
1: <laughs> right.
2: right. Maybe but, you know, we, we've seen
1: them. that. We've seen that happen in the enterprise before. We just go, like, oh, play back that tape of that thing that happened years ago because we are always recording what happens. Yes. Or we can always recreate it anyway. Yeah, was it was very scary. interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, th- th- wow, that, that's not a conversation I thought we would have on this show in particular. Um, but I, I've got a friend who <laughs> basically says, look, the, the great American experiment with privacy is over. Like That, that was a thing <laughs> that we did for a little while, and and we all kind of bought into it, but, but we're done with that now. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go back in time far enough, and where everybody ate slept lived and did whatever with each other under the same roof there was no privacy then either right so then we created this thing that we call privacy we lived with it for a while and now we don't <laughs> or maybe we won't and then we get to figure out how much of that is acceptable or not at, um, at least as it stands today though we can sort of uh, uh live with the illusion of it mm-hmm. true yeah
2: yeah good times
1: yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the Klingon stuff going on in this episode. Yeah, if you want to. Uh, one of the first things that uh, really struck me was how oh, it must be terrible being a Klingon. Um, it, it must be really awful on some level. Not all the time, but every now and then. Because what if you decide that you are more interested in, say, like cooking or, or crafting or musical theater maybe, maybe, than just going around showing how big your disruptor is all the mm-hmm. time? Like this was almost a kind of jocks versus nerds thing at one point where Worf is just by virtue of the fact that he was raised differently, Mm -hmm. is now going to get picked on and challenged and he's got to prove his worth, prove his honor. And for him, he still does the right thing over and over. You know, ultimately we get to see his version of honor Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of this episode, which is great. Um, And I never thought for a second that Worf would choose the Klingons over his loyalty to Starfleet. But it was just incredibly interesting for me to see the ways that he was forced to maintain some shred of dignity, even in the face of just the relentless attacks from his countrymen.
2: you use the word countryman and so did chorus and i found that kind of odd but let me ask you do you remember when we were doing and this was so much longer ago than when people heard it when we did um a mock time okay i put forth the possibility that Far was really just sort of a societal psychosis do you remember this? Because not, because they all grow up really. knowing that every seven years, every seven years they're going to go through this thing as adults. Every seven years they're going to go through this thing. And the question was, okay. is that really something that's like biological? Is that really something that's that's you know uh, part of their their literal physical and chemical makeup, or mm-hmm. is that just like you know, well, every seven years this happens, so every seven years this happens, and they spend you know six years and eleven months you know some uh, on some level sort of working their way up to it. Because mm. what I kept wondering about was. What does Worf's apparent conflict on deck 17 when he's standing between the Klingons and Tasha mm-hmm. uh, and, and that whole security cadre uh, say about nature versus nurture? Mm. And, and I think the questions are reinforced later by Yar saying, I thought there was going to be you know, trouble uh, with the, them taking the little girl h- hostage. And Worf says, not that is not the Klingon way. He says, that's not our way. Mm -hmm. Our way. Now, we know that he was raised by humans from before the time of inclusion, and we don't know what the time of inclusion is, but we have to assume it has something to do with being raised Klingon. Yeah. Right? So we know that humanity got to him before Klingonity got to him, (laughs) right? And this, this, again, is reinforced by Picard saying, oh, Worf must be torn. These are his people. Well, they look alike. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and and we do we are then given to understand that yes, Worf does feel some of that. But then I have to wonder again. Th- I mean, that's a difference in the biology, right? I mean, yeah. there is literally, honestly, something in the Klingons that yes, that this whatever it is beats in their hearts. And even if you you know take a Klingon and put him in a box, as long as you got enough food and enough water, he's going to grow up with this inherent warrior thing. Even if he's raised by the most peace loving people on the planet, yeah. it struck me as I. I it brought up a whole bunch of stuff that I also want to talk to other people about. Not yeah. that I don't want to talk to you about it, but, I mean, you're a white guy and so am I. I mean, it brought up questions yeah. about race to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, not racism, but just... Uh, so, you know, if you're a white guy raised in an entirely African-American neighborhood, or if you're a, a, a African-American guy raised in a totally white neighborhood, or if you're a Chinese guy raised in a totally Japanese neighborhood, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's... I mean, like, is there... Are there expectations based on what you look like that even if you are not raised around anyone who looks like you do, I mean, do you grow up with some sort of, you know, not just a disconnectedness? Because, I mean, certainly we've seen that from Worf, although I don't guess we've seen that from him yet. But do you grow up with this idea that I've got this other thing that I am, even if I don't know anything about that other thing? I've got this other thing that I am. Or is it just, you know, is everybody making assumptions about Worf? Or is it just a science fiction thing where, oh, yeah, well, he's Klingon, so even if he's never spoken a word of Klingon in his life, he's going to have this weird bloodlust, same as, like, what if you took a Vulcan and raised him on, um, I don't know, raised him in Detroit, say. Does he get bonfire (laughs) at that point, or does he not? It's just kind of, it it raised a bunch of nature, nurture, race outside of your normal, or outside of, you know, people like you kind of uh, questions. That I don't feel like it answered, but... I thought they were fascinating questions to raise.
1: I agree. And and yeah, and I don't think there are any really easy answers here because you don't just at the end of it say, okay, Worf is Mm -hmm. this one thing. Mm -hmm. All you're left with in the end is to say that Worf likes where he is and he has chosen to be there and he will do a damn good job of where he is and what he is doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he will act with loyalty. He will act with honor. And these are things that we know about Worf, the individual. Um, Really, that's all you're giving. You're not given a thing that says, you know, he is obligated to Klingons or or something like that. I, let's change this conversation just very slightly to say that look at the uh, the debate over uh, pit bulls, you know, any bully breed dogs for the last 10, 20 years. And that that's been going on. You know, it, there is this portrayal of them in popular media as hyper-aggressive dogs no matter what you know you you have a pit bull and they're just going to be hyper-aggressive and the fact of the matter is that you can raise those dogs in a loving normalized environment and they are just like any other dogs and in fact i know a certain executive producer of mission log who's got a couple of them who are the sweetest most adorable loving dogs you will ever meet Um, so statistically and scientifically it it doesn't weigh out that a particular breed is just specifically aggressive because it is specifically aggressive. I
2: I don't know how much you want to say about your personal life, but is it okay mm-hmm. to say that you are personally involved with people who are involved with pit bulls because to sure. go from yeah to, yeah yeah just and the only reason I bring it up and forgive me this is my hyper PC awareness. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a hyper PC person, but I am I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm fairly PC aware. Yeah. Um, to talk about race and then say, well, it's like a dog.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no <laughs> I, no. I, I,
2: I want to make I want to yeah. make absolutely 100% certain that we cover all of the reasons that we might make one jump to the other because yeah. other, otherwise that has so much potential to be ugly and blow-uppy.
1: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That That's, yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. is a very different
2: conversation. It, it is sort of... Because I know your backstory that I'm, that right, I'm like, right. oh, I, I get why he's doing that. Let's make sure everybody else does too. <laughs> right,
1: right. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Good call. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, you're asking the question, nature versus nurture. Yeah. No, no matter what the, the the situation is specifically. And uh, there's a another layer on top of this. And, and that is the, the sort of Klingon emphasis of battle and death. Their whole culture is based around this idea. Uh, you know, Kora says that he would rather spread fear before him. You know, that was sort of an interesting uh, a way to phrase it. And death is more important than life to them. Um, as long as you have an honorable death, then then things are good. And and I I couldn't help but think of people today whose you know personal convictions place you know they place those convictions above law, sometimes to the point of destructive and deadly behavior. And you are talking about you know deeply held beliefs and a and a and a very strongly constructed parameter of beliefs that says this is how you will live and this is how you will grow up and this is how you will view the world. So maybe it's nature versus nurture, but part of that nurture is also the intensity, the severity, the parameters of that nature, or nurture rather, that would make somebody turn out that way on the other end. You know, Mm. Klingons, the way that Klingons have been portrayed so far, it's kind of like just they're in two modes you know they're either conquering and fighting and battling or they're taking a nap (laughs) you know and that's pretty much it that's pretty much all that we know of like every waking moment is preoccupied by who am i going to conquer next to show how big my honor is
2: this is true beginning where star trek three would you say
1: because mm, before yeah. well, that str- they were yeah, just yeah, 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 before
2: yeah. that they were just conniving losers. Honestly, they were just they were just awful. They they were like they were like less honorable Ferengi. And then mm-hmm. we still have to go and forgive me because I'm playing with the timeline now. The Ferengi are honorable once you get to something like Deep Space Nine. I would say they're not honorable. At least nothing that we've seen on next gen is honorable about them at this point. But the Klingons that were in the original series were worse. they would say one thing and do another they w- they would you know basically try to screw over somebody in a deal i mm-hmm. mean they were they were just they were just they were they were uh reprehensible characters with no with no real code it seemed yeah. at all um so when you say all that you're talking about there, there's, a, there's a there's a turning point and I, I would say it's probably in Star Trek three yeah
1: um, well that's when we get a little more depth
2: yeah um, well, that's the first time they show up as a warrior race as opposed to just the bad guy yeah i mean they're they're kind of a different yeah, thing yeah, yeah. it's it, the thing is I don't think you can say anything about Klingons based on the behavior of chorus i mean he is he is an extremist he is mm-hmm. what he's that guy that you were talking about a minute ago he's mm-hmm. you know who sort of puts what he wants above law right he and he's also crazy.
0: <laughs> I mean, because right, yeah. because
2: he's under the impression that two Klingons with one ship can ignite a revolution that will light up the galaxy. Um, there's certainly no doubt that he would get some zealots or or purists or Klingon supremacists to go along with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but really, I mean, it, it just is folly because most Klingons have chosen to go along with you know their governing body. Of course honestly reminded me. I mean, on the one hand, he reminds me of of of. I hate how topical, well, I both hate and love how topical this particular episode is. And one of the fantastic Mm -hmm. things about Star Trek, certainly original series, and now Next Generation, is we, as we sit here and record this, we're talking about an episode that came out 27 years ago. Mm -hmm. And yet it points to so much stuff that is happening today. Um, there, There are some things, I mean, it's possible that Chorus could end up being like the guys from ISIL or ISIS as we record this. And hopefully there are people listening to this five years from now who are like, oh, yeah, I remember them. Yeah. You know, or, oh, I don't even remember what they're talking about. Hopefully that's right. the case. Right now they're sort of a, as we record this, they are just, wow, an incredibly thorny bush. Um, it, Honestly, Chorus reminded me more of Manson <laughs> and mm. not, not Marilyn, because then it would yeah. be fun. But Charles, uh, you're like, hey, let's start a race war. Now, the one the one cool thing about Chorus is um, he's actually going to get his hands dirty, as opposed to Manson, who was just like, hey. You go start a race war sure, and I'll, I'll right, come in and lead right. afterwards. But you you guys go ahead. I'm sure you got this. Right. As far as the honor stuff that you were talking about with, with War too, Two, I mean, the whole thing of you look for battles in the wrong place. I would love it if somebody would say that to some of the nut jobs that are on <laughs> this planet today. Right. Yeah. We have, uh, again, we have a president right now that we hate. You know why we hate him? Yeah. Apparently he's taking away stuff or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, politically, there are plenty of reasons to not like the Republicans. And politically, there are plenty of reasons to not like the Democrats. I mean, don't misunderstand me. Yeah. But there are some people who aren't even getting to the political part. They just don't like him because he's the other. Right. And I love right. the fact that, that, that and that's and that's the reason that chorus doesn't like the Federation, because they're not Klingon. That's why he doesn't like them. They, I mean, because they're not Klingon. They are they are the other. And I love the fact that Worf is trying to snap him out of it going, you're looking for battles in the wrong place and and then you know just laying it on at that point the true test of a warrior is not without its within um you know here and he points to his chest and says here is where we meet the challenge it, it is the weakness in here that the warrior must overcome and that's just that's too big to be a gem i mean that's just so it was such a fantastic um uh, fantastic sort of laying down where true honor is in a mm-hmm. way so
1: but well, you know it's really interesting this this a single episode has such parallel to Star Trek Six, and it's kind of amazing that that movie came out three years later. Mm-hmm. You know, but Chorus is like Chang and Kirk with his inability to separate his identity from the job of kicking each other's asses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's an old cold warrior who has grown too inflexible. He's also crazy. I will give you that. Yeah. He, he, he is an extremist, and, and he has been warped by his belief system. Um, and, and I still think about you know tying it back into that final line that um, uh, that Worf has. Well, it's not his final line, but about the the true uh, test being within. I, I still think about Kirk, who said he's a barbarian, but he chooses not to kill today. Mm-hmm. You know uh, mm-hmm. that young Kirk saw himself the individual. As living up to a higher ideal rather than just being stuck in the roles predetermined by either duty or biology. So, again, at that point, does it really matter if it's nature versus nurture? And we can talk about that as a conflict for Worf, Mm -hmm. trying to determine who he is, because that's the fascinating road to go down as well. But just in terms of what do I do? Who am I? And can I even picture myself living in a world where we're at peace? Where there are no things to conquer anymore, at least given this this old idea that conquering is literally meaning fighting and taking and destroying, as opposed to say, you know, learning something new. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk, in that moment, in a taste of Armageddon, is, is saying, "Look, I I can be better than that. I can be better than either." what my gut impulse tells me to do, but I can also be better than, say, just what a system or a government or a computer or a, a direction I am given tells me to do.
2: Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf says the true test of a warrior is not without, it is within. Yeah. That's what he says, and that's obviously what he believes. Mm-hmm. We know from Star Trek Six which hasn't happened yet when this was produced, but we've now watched it and in the timeline and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Are the Klingons mostly walking around in, as I joked about in the start of the show, uh, sort of this yoke of civility because, you know, they were about to run out of energy, their whole empire was about to collapse, so it was either make friends or let's all blow up together. I mean, those were pretty much the two options that the Klingons had at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Are the Klingons now walking around saying... I really want to kill everybody who's not Klingon, but you know what? That's the wrong thing to do, and so I'm going to be a better Klingon, and being a better Klingon, I'll be a better citizen of the galaxy. Or are the Klingons walking around going, I really resent the fact that I need these guys to live. I mean, are the Klingons yeah. becoming a better race, or are the Klingons <sighs> cowing well, themselves to, okay. to to get what they need?
1: But, but you're kind of asking that question with the idea that, Klingon-ness is something that is an inherent biological thing rather than necessarily just a a political or a social reality for them. Think about, uh, you know, think about when uh, the Russian or the Soviet empire fell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for decades and decades, everybody on, you know, no matter which side of the curtain you're on, is saying those are the enemy. They are all of like mind. They will destroy us. OK, but then you get to a point where things fall apart. We talk about the Star Trek six analogy when Chernobyl exploded and there is a crisis. And that is one of the catalysts for the, the you know, introducing Perestroika and Glasnost. Um, that changed their world. And even though there is a political reality that told people this is the way the world is and these are enemies and here's what we have to be afraid of there's also the rank and file who says well at the end of the day i need to eat and i need to have a roof over my head and i need to not live in constant fear of being destroyed so maybe there is something about the klingon system here at least since uh, what happened at Praxis, you know, mm-hmm. uh, blowing up and changing the, the way that they had to look at things. We're sure there are those who are still stuck in this whole mindset. Chorus is stuck in this whole mindset. And Chorus is a pretty young man for this to be the 24th century. You know, right. uh, we were talking about a big separation between what happens in this episode versus what happened at Kittimer. Right. So, He may have simply been raised with that old view, and he has twisted it and warped it, and he sees the world through that very narrow definition. But does that speak for all Klingons? I I can't think that it does. Well, except that Captain K'nare said, I feel it too.
2: When Worf is standing there making the case for Mm -hmm. why Chorus and his counterpart um, should not be executed. Mm-hmm. Um and then, by the way, that sounds like a brutal thing, tied up is actually what he said i i get I get the yeah. feeling that everybody gathers round to watch what happens to make sure it doesn 't have to happen again oh yeah um it, but i mean Kinnair says Kinnear says he feels it too which which is what makes me think that it is whether it 's biological or societal that it is across the board, and that 's mm-hmm. what i 'm trying to I, I'm just kind of curious about it it doesn 't actually it doesn't change. A tremendous amount. But I'm, I'm wondering, like, are, do the Klingons see themselves as getting better or do the Klingons see themselves as just getting weaker as right. it goes? But, you know, maybe yeah. somebody will write a novel or maybe it'll turn up in a later episode. Who knows? <laughs> are, are there other episodes after this one? I can't remember.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, maybe there's one or two. Oh, okay. But yeah, I, but I, I think, you know, to, to go back to the, the summary there, you know, that the that wharf line, it is a weakness in here, a warrior must overcome. And I, and I thought it was profound simply because of the numerous ways that we have picked apart the wharf character in this episode. And um, he's, he's leaving behind generations of Klingon philosophy, supposedly, from what, from what we know, from what we've built of it, in favor of something new. And, you know, again, like Kirk, he's a barbarian, but he won't kill today. So from his perspective, that weakness... I think you can define it in a number of ways, you know, or do we look at that as the ability to work for others instead of personal conquest? Uh, is it the decision not to fight, to be the first one to put down the weapon and not fight? Is it just the ability to be at peace with oneself when there's not an easy path already laid out before you? Um, because, I think from these Klingons' point of view, the easy path is, oh, okay, well, there's something in your way, you destroy it, <laughs> you know? You, you blow up the thing so that you can get to the other thing that you want to take. The only job they've ever had is something to go out and conquer and to fight. And, and what do you do when all of that is taken away from you? Luckily for Worf, he has found an identity within Starfleet. Um, so he, he's maybe luckier than a lot of his countrymen in that respect,
0: time now to sum up the show. What is at the heart of Heart of Glory?
1: All right, kind of a lot to say about this episode, but in summary, in the end, um, let's see if it holds up first. Does it hold up today as a production, as an episode, as an exploration? What do you think?
2: Well, unfortunately, John, I find the boom mic unforgivable, so I have to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like you, man. Now you yeah. look what you've done to me.
1: Yeah, I just you can't stomach it. At um, all.
2: I will be honest. As I was watching the episode the first time, I was like, oh, "This is." Okay, it's interesting. The Klingons, they're a little cardboard, but, you know, whatever. And I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way in the episode, I became riveted. It's not, I mean, yes, it holds up. I, I mean, there's, I, I could go on about what I think holds up, but we've actually gone a lot about, you know, the stuff that we examined in this. And and we don't, I don't think we actually hit everything that we had taken notes on. Um, this is a surprisingly rich episode. I mean just 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 yes. Yes, this <laughs> episode I I I don't see how you could think that this episode does not hold up. We're we're given more information about the Klingons than we've ever had before. We finally have an episode where Worf is not being hey, stop being an idiot. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't get that mm-hmm. this episode. We actually get a tremendous amount of respect from the other characters towards Worf in this episode, including from Picard. And and then the questions that it brings up about Honestly, Worf's speech reminded me of the speech in the Corbamite Maneuver, and I'm not Mm -hmm. fixated on the Corbamite Maneuver, I don't think. Yes, you are. I hope not. I'm I'm, I'm slightly fixated on the Corbamite Maneuver, but no, I mean, he makes the same speech that Kirk makes, just in a different way. Everybody wants to flee from Balok, and Kirk's like, hey, you know, we got this thing that we're supposed to do, and and yeah, we'd like to run away, but guess what? We're going to do this thing instead. I mean, it basically is, it boils down to what you said earlier about there's the easy way to do things, or what they have decided is the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. And then once it comes to, oh, but it'd be so easy to do it the easy way. Yeah, well, no, I still have to do what's right. I mean, so so Worf admits all the way through this episode, I get you, man. I you know I get what you're saying, and yeah, I want to go kill a bunch of people too, but I can't because yeah. that's because that's not who I've said I want to be. So. I'm. I'm not going to kill a bunch of people. like this. <laughs> bomber. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's me. What about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, even if this episode were not was not produced as well as it was produced, mm-hmm. because it has got a lot going on in it visually, and, yeah. and it's interesting stuff to watch. Um, I think just from the writing alone, uh, it would definitely hold up because there's a Absolutely lot going on.
2: Absolutely amazing that they were not done with this script when they started because this may be. Do you think this is the strongest script we've come across so far in TNG?
1: Uh as a script, yeah, okay. H- hands down. Right. Hands down. That's yeah.
2: nuts. That start started uh, I know, the camera right? going, "Wow, I hope I hope this ends well."
1: <laughs> exactly. So it, and that never happens, but in this case that's why it was important for trivia to talk yeah. about that. Um I I have to admit, it, you know, I haven't been a huge fan of Klingons. Yeah. You know, I I am a Star Trek fan for sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe contrary to what some of our hate mail has said, um, but, <laughs> but, but what I look at, that's my favorite one, you know, Hey, you're not fans. Okay. All right. Well. Um, but when I look at all the species of all the series of star Trek, I'm just less interested in them than I am. in others like Vulcans or Andorians or humans for that point, you know, the, the humans are, it's the human adventure, right? But this show, this episode made me interested And we learned, like you, I I watched this once. I'm like, okay, it's a Klingon episode. That's interesting. But then I watched it again. I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, We learned a great deal about Klingon culture. And just the acknowledgement that there's a rift among them about the peace with the Federation, I think is fascinating. Because then it does play into, well, if I've learned this all my life. What do I do with that when that changes, when I'm told something different? Um, The episode is rich. uh, And, you know, just like everyone who made it was surprised, I'll agree that everything here just kind of works. You know, they they effectively build tension. They effectively build conflict. Um, They actually explore some really serious concepts like identity and nationalism and loyalty and whether or not. Who you are is what you do yeah um, that that seems to be the central conflict here uh, for these Klingon characters, so I thought it was great, and like you, I felt that there weren 't just easy answers delivered at the end of the day,
2: yeah which which makes it hard to say so what 's the message because i mean the, right. it,
1: it 's a little i mean it's
2: it 's multifaceted i mean if you want to try to boil it down to something simple it like, can be, again, what you were talking about earlier about the easy way is not necessarily the best way or the easy way is not necessarily the right way. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that that is too oversimplified at that point. We talked about what an after-school special um, uh, coming-of-age felt like on some yeah. level. This was not that. I If it were going to be faulted on anything, it might be it's just a little too simple to get wharf into conflict. But I don't even think you can fault it on that because the conflict works so well. I mean, his yeah. inner conflict and then his his explanation of how it is that he overcomes that inner conflict is just. Um, yeah, this is a great episode.
1: If you had to. ah Boy, I, I almost I'm hearing myself say it in my head and I almost don't want to say it. Yeah. But if you had to give this a see Timmy moment or an after school special kind of message, mm-hmm. would it be, you know, ultimately at the end, you've got Worf who has finally settled on who he is and what he has to do, is it something as simple as be yourself and don't give in to this pressure that says you have to be something that other people say you have to be. You have to find the strength to be yourself on your own. Yeah. He can't just rely on whether it's Klingon identity or Starfleet identity. He has to do what's right Yeah, at the end of the day.
2: Well, you know? yes. Except, I mean, the problem is if you were going to make that a uh, message earlier in Worf's life, then there's a possibility that he would have killed his adopted parents and his adopted <laughs> brother <laughs> because, you know, I mean, he's still got that Klingon blood. I mean, at some point, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, you can sort of say it's be yourself. I mean, it's, uh, God, we're not going to make it a peer pressure episode, are we? Uh,
1: no, that's it, kind it, of what you're saying. No, it's, it, but it's more difficult than that. It's not just peer yeah. pressure. I mean, it is it, tinged with this. This twisted version of nationalism, this twisted version of loyalty, this twisted version of identity that says I'm nothing if I don't have this thing to fight for.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would actually what I would say is let's not try to put a UC Temmy message to it and instead encourage people to if this is if this for whatever reason has been an episode that you've never gotten much out of. Now that you've listened to this, hopefully you go back and you, you peel away a couple of layers of that onion because there's a ton of stuff there, I think. I believe, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to tell anybody, you know, how to feel about any episode, Eh, except for, um, for my maneuver. No, the one with Mary.
1: Oh, that was called Mary.
2: Oh, was it called Mary? It was called Mary. I don't want to tell anybody how to feel about any episode of Star Trek, except for Mary. Okay. And cat's paw. But, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, there's, there's so much here that I, I almost don't want to say, so let's sum it up in a sentence because I mean, the sentence I would sum it up in is watch it or watch it again
1: yeah good good well fortunately Ken uh, there's more Star Trek oh thank goodness there is there is so you and I will get to do this again next week when we talk about the arsenal of freedom
0: Some of the music formation Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at ki Before you go, be sure to stop by the Enterprise Gift Shop. There you can purchase several dead Klingons glued together, covered with glitter, and googly eyes. You can even have your name painted on them and transmission.